Hi guys and welcome back to another true crime and makeup time video. If you're new here, my name is Zara and I post a new true crime video every single week. So if you love makeup and you love true crime, definitely hit that notification bell button so that you don't miss another video. Hit the like button so I know you like this video and then leave me a comment down below saying hi. Today's case was requested by Mela, so thanks girl. I actually heard about this case before and I didn't know the details of it, but it's crazy. It's about a horrible crime that a 15 year old boy committed against his own mom. This boy did have a history of mental disturbance, but no one could predict what he would do. So the real question this case poses is whether this boy was deeply disturbed or actually just pure evil. So let's get into it. So Zachary Davis was born on 27th July, 1997 to Melanie and Chris Davis. Melanie was actually from Australia and she moved to Tennessee to be with and marry Chris. They lived in Hendersonville and the two of them went on to have two sons, Zachary and Josh. Josh was their firstborn son and then Zachary came next. They were an average all-American well, not really all American because she was from Australia, but they were an average American family and they lived just a middle class, normal life. Melanie worked as a paralegal and in her part time, she would compete in triathlons. I'm not exactly sure what Chris did, but when Zachary was nine years old, Chris actually passed away. This took place in 2007 and his father, Chris, he passed away from ALS, which is just, it's just a horrific disease. It really, it, it's, it's horrible. Now, the loss of their father, Chris, really took a toll on Zachary and Josh. And it really took a toll really on the entire family. But Zachary seemed to struggle a little bit more with it. Zachary was really young. He was only nine, 10 years old. And the impact it had on him, his father's death, led him to fall into a really deep depression. And look, anyone can have depression, but when a really young kid has it, it's really sad because that means they not only understand what's happening, but they also don't understand, if that makes sense. It's, it's like a hard age for them to understand death. So within just a few months of his father's death, Zachary ended up going to receive psychiatric treatment from Dr. Bradley Freeman. Dr. Freeman would treat Zachary at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And during his time or treatments with Dr. Freeman, he did inform Zachary's family that he was suffering from some type of mental disorder. Dr. Freeman claims that it was obvious from the very first time meeting Zachary. Now, one of the main things that Zachary told Dr. Freeman that he was struggling with is that he was hearing voices at the age of 10. So soon following this, Dr. Freeman ended up diagnosing Zachary with schizophrenia and depression. And even though he was struggling, Zachary always had this sort of very calm demeanor. But despite this calm demeanor, he was losing everything inside. He was losing his childhood, he was losing his happiness. He was just really struggling. Dr. Freeman believed that his condition was worsening because he was just becoming more and more withdrawn and exhibiting just awkward 
not normal behavior. I mean, I don't like to say normal because what's normal, but you know what I mean? Now, during one of these sessions with Dr. Freeman, one of the voices that Zachary claimed to be hearing from was his own father. Now, the thing is, psychologists, most psychologists and Dr. Freeman stated that these type of deep depressions that young people can fall into, especially after the loss of a, a loved one, is considered normal. And as some of us may know, there's certain phases that you sort of go through when you're dealing with these kinds of things. And Zachary had evidently gone through two of those phases, including being numb and the depression, but he failed to make it through to phase three, which was considered recovery. And there was a reason for why he didn't make it to the recovery phase. And you would think as a parent, if your kid is going through something like this, especially after the death of not only a loved one, but his father, you would think that as a parent, you would want to do everything you can. And especially being diagnosed with a mental illness that you would think, I keep saying you would think, you would think that you would want them to get this treatment, but not Zach's mom. Maybe she felt like it wasn't doing anything because she soon pulled him out of his sessions with Dr. Freeman. And according to Dr. Freeman, he was on his way there. Like he was having the treatments. He was having these sessions with him and on his way to recovery if she let him, but she pulled him out so quickly that he really didn't have a chance. She chose to stop bringing Zachary to his appointments with Dr. Freeman. And, you know, she did so for whatever her reasons were, but Zachary's grandmother believes that if Zachary had continued on with these treatments with Dr. Freeman and if his mom, Melanie, gave him the chance to speak to someone on an ongoing basis, that we would not be here today even discussing this case. Melanie instead moved them to Sumner County in Tennessee to move on with their lives and just have a fresh start. Or so she thought. When she moved them, Melanie just wanted her sons, Josh and Zach, to just be normal, have normal lives and just recover from the death of their father. She really wanted them to be happy. And I'm sure, I'm sure she was just trying to do her best. She's a single parent now. You know, it's not easy. And she just thought that she was doing the right thing for her family. Melanie continued her work as a paralegal and she also trained really hard as a triathlete, but she, her main concerns were making sure that her sons were happy and she tried everything she could to just keep everyone happy to move on from Chris's death. But I don't think it's as easy as it sounds and we don't know what she was doing. We don't know what she was struggling with. And because of this, she was unaware that Zach was really struggling with his mental health and not coping. And for me, mental health is no joke. You can't, sometimes as a parent, you can't control that. Zach's mental health issues were beyond her control. It wasn't something she could help him with. Zach attended Station Camp High School and a former classmate of his labels him as being a weirdo. He was known to possess some quite bizarre quirks and behaviors, I guess. This classmate says that it was 100% clear that 
Zach has and was is mentally ill. He stated it was clear to most people because he walked the same, talked the same, even sat the same. And most people that were in the uni- in the high school believed that, yeah, something's definitely wrong with Zach. But as you do in high school, no one questions it, you know? Apparently he always whispered when he spoke, like he didn't really speak at a normal tone or a normal volume. It was very like whispery and it was quite, I mean, from what I heard, it's very dead sounding, like very like blank. And like, there's no, like, there's no thought behind what he's actually saying. He's just a bit robotic. But this classmate believes that he spoke this way to actually cover his, his real voice. But I don't know about that. I feel like that's just how he spoke. I don't think he was like trying to be that way. I think that's just honestly how he was. This classmate goes on to say that Zach made a lot of the teachers uncomfortable, but he didn't do anything or didn't behave in such a way that was too threatening for them to be afraid of him. This student says he wore the same hoodie every single day, no matter the heat, even though that's normal for most of the kids my age at the time, he was viewed as a social outcast. From what I saw, nobody made fun of him. You either ignored him or you tried and tried and tried again to connect with him, which nobody ever managed to do. I talked to him once, asked him to play Minecraft with me. He was a freshman at the time and he said he would play with him. But when he opened up the server and was waiting for Zach to join him, he never joined him. Now, I feel like, okay, look, teachers, and I know some teachers watch my video, so please comment below on what your thoughts are, but I know teachers are busy and you know they got their own things to do, but I know, I, I think some of your responsibility is the student's well-being, right? Like it's not just to teach. So if he, you know, didn't have any friends, he was an outcast, and I know there's a lot of outcasts and stuff in school but you know he didn't have any friends clearly he didn't have any friends he wore the same clothes every day he spoke really awkwardly he didn't have social skills he probably didn't attend any social events he probably didn't attend any schooling events doesn't that like what other requirements where you need to okay speak to the mom speak to the parents at home hey I'm worried about your kid maybe the teachers did we don't know right but I would think that since Melanie had given him or got him treatment with Dr. Bradley earlier, that if the school raised some concerns about their student, that maybe she would seek help again. There's no mention of this occurring and maybe the school just passed him off as he's just socially awkward. I mean, let me know how that works if you guys work in schools or deal with students. But then to answer my own question in a way, teenage boys can be like that. Teenagers can be like that. Zach had an app on his phone that would list serial killers. And he also had another app which would talk about torture devices and things like that. But again, is that normal or is that something we need to question with all kids? His notebooks had little quotes on it saying, you can't spell slaughter without laughter. He read Stephen King novels and played violent video games. But then again, most teenagers do. And I don't know how I feel about that with letting, you know, my kids do that kind of stuff. It seems like more and more nowadays, these things are linked to scary behavior. But is it really that or is it just the kids? 
So prior to August 10th, 2012, Zachary had never displayed any signs of violent behavior. It also seemed like Zach and his mom and his brother were close because on that night, the three of them went to the movies together. They went to watch the showing of a comedy film called The Campaign. And it was just a normal night, no incident. And the three of them, they watch this movie and then they come back home. When they come back home, Zach, he goes to his room and he grabs an empty backpack. He packs clothes, notebooks, toothbrushes, a glove, a ski mask, and a claw hammer. Now, from the sounds of that, you would think he was planning to run away. But why the gloves and the ski mask and the claw hammer? He wasn't planning to run away. He was planning something horrific. Now, his mom, Melanie, normally went to bed around 9 p.m. And that night was no different. She went to bed the same time. And as she was drifting off to sleep, she had no idea what was about to happen. Now, at this point, the both of them are asleep. Josh also goes to bed early. And as they're both asleep, Zach makes his way downstairs into the basement and he grabs a sledgehammer. He then takes it back upstairs, walks towards his mother's room and enters her room and then proceeds to use this sledgehammer to bludgeon her to death, striking her over 20 times. And then as you can imagine, he is drenched in her blood. It's a sledgehammer. So then as he's drenched in her blood, he goes downstairs into the family game room. He grabs gasoline, which I don't know where he got that from, and he pours it all around this game room. He also grabs some whiskey and he pours it all around the game room, like walls, everything. He just splashes it everywhere. And he sets this room on fire, closes the door behind him and then leaves and flees and like leaves the home. Now, the reason for him even setting this fire there was one more person alive in the house and that was his brother, Josh. So he set this fire because he wanted to kill his brother, Josh, as well. Now, the mistake that he made was, so remember, he's in the game room, sets it on fire, but it's a room. And as he leaves the room, um, as it's on fire, he shuts the door. But what happens is because there's a lack of oxygen, the fire doesn't spread and it just kind of stays contained to that room. So Luckily, Josh survived. And what happened is the smoke alarm goes off and the beeping wakes up Josh. So he wakes up from his sleep and he's like, oh my God, there's a fire. So the first thing he does is go and check on his mom because he wants to make sure that she's okay. But as he's trying to get into her room, he can't because the door is locked. So he then tries his best and he breaks the door down. And he is met by this horrific scene. Can you imagine him walking into that and seeing his mother's lifeless body in that condition? Like, it, oh my gosh, it must have been, I don't know how people, well, he freaks out and he runs to a neighbor's house to call for help. And can you imagine what he was thinking? He must have known that his brother had done it. His brother was nowhere to be found. He must have checked on his brother's room at least. Just five hours later, a deputy finds Zach walking along a two-lane road just five miles away from his home. Zach was picked up by the police without any incident and he was taken in 
for questioning. When the detectives asked him, you know, what happened, he immediately just confessed and said, yeah, I killed my mother as she slept. The sheriff that was in the room questioning him said that when Zach stated that he killed his mom, he had this smirk, this creepy smirk on his face. He then tells authorities that I didn't feel anything when I killed her. He was 15 years old. Now, when Melanie had her autopsy done, the autopsy showed that she was killed when the sledgehammer hit her head 12 times. The other blows were to her body and the detectives state that Zach tried to cover up the crime by setting the house on fire and trying to kill his brother, hopefully destroying all evidence and any witnesses. So now the information that I could find about this case is pretty limited and I'm guessing he was in jail for years because his trial didn't even start until April of 2015. So the jury selection allegedly took a little bit of time and after narrowing down the jury to seven men and five women, his trial was able to start. Zach at this point, he was 17, but he was being tried as an adult, even though the crime took place when he was 15. He would be pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. His defense lawyer and the prosecution, they laid out their statements during the opening arguments. And the prosecution states that prior to this occurring, there was harmony in the house. That Zachary Davis chose to and planned to kill his mother and his brother well in advance. The prosecution stated that this was just clearly cold-blooded murder. But the defense stated no, there was a completely different motivation for this crime. Now, remember that Zach immediately confessed when he was at the station. So the defense states that although the jury was about to see a taped confession of Zach confessing to this crime, there was another explanation. Even though Zach admitted to the murder, doesn't mean that he is guilty. His defense lawyer argued that Zach was suffering from an untreated mental illness and because of this, he should not be held liable for his actions. Now, remember Bradley Freeman, the first psychiatrist that treated Zach? He came and took the stand and he did so because he had had a session with Zach after the crime and Zach had told him, allegedly, that he killed his mother at the request of his dead father. Zach's father passed away in 2007, years before this crime took place. And years before, remember, he told Dr. Freeman that he had been hearing his father's voice. So these things lined up. In the videotaped confession that was played to the court, you hear Zach chillingly explain how it was his father that told him to kill his mother that it was this spiritual moment and the spiritual voice of his father, which is why he did what he did, because he was listening to his father. During his interrogation with the police, the detective asks him, you know, if you could go back in time and do what you did again, would you do it? And his response was, if I could go back in time, I would kill my brother Josh with a sledgehammer too. During the trial, I believe it's the defense that asks Zach 
we've heard you talk about hearing voices when no one is there. Do you hear voices? And Zach states, yes, yes, I do hear them. And then the attorney says, well, do you recognize that voice? And then Zach goes on to say, yes, it's the voice of my father. And then he says, and do these voices continue to talk to you after you killed your mother while you're in jail? And Zach says, yes. He truly believed that his father had been telling him to kill his mother. The DA initially refuted Zach's claims about hearing his father's voice because she said, you only talked about hearing your father's voice after you were sent out of juvenile court. And, you know, you never mentioned it prior. But Dr. Freeman says that he had years ago diagnosed Zach with schizophrenia and depression. And because of these mental illnesses, he believes that Zach was not capable of committing first degree murder. He stated that due to his illnesses, Zach could not form the necessary thought processes to do something like that. He said his judgment was driven by psychosis and that that prevented him from premeditating a crime like this. Another psychologist who interviewed Zach 30 times after his arrest stated that he had never seen someone so detached from his emotions. She too diagnosed him with the same thing as Dr. Freeman, and that would be schizophrenia and depression. The prosecution would ask Zach, you know, did your father's voice tell you to do anything specific to your mother? But when he was shown the crime scene, pictures of his mother's bloody body, he showed nothing, zilch. Like there was no reaction. It was like you were just showing him a blank piece of paper and he was like, what do you want me to do with this? Now, throughout the trial, and I think why this case is quite um, jarring to some, is that he would, like, laugh like a maniac through the trial, like, throughout the trial. And not only that, he would do so at really inappropriate times. I'm guessing when they were talking about how his mother was killed, how many times she was, you know, hit, that's when he would laugh. On the third day of the trial, he takes the stand and he says something that nobody expected him to say, which was, I didn't do it. I didn't kill my mom. He goes on to say, I didn't kill her. I confessed and took the fall for my brother, Josh. He's the one that killed her with a sledgehammer. The courtroom at first was like, what? But, you know, they're there talking about someone who was being diagnosed with a mental illness. So, um, the Zach's defense attorney reminds him like, Hey Zach, you know, you've, we've got here a signed confession letter from you stating that you did it. But Zach continues to say, no, I didn't do it. You know, I didn't do it. And I mean, he had his trousers with like blood splattered with his mom's blood all over it. And I think for me, unless, you know, he's faking it, that outburst alone shows that he really wasn't mentally there. So the prosecution goes on to state that regardless of his mental illness or not, Zach had meticulously planned the murder of his mother and his brother. He had written his plans down in his diary days before the attack. He poured gasoline and whiskey in that game room before setting it on fire. And then the evidence that they really were relying on was the fact that he packed his backpack with his 
you know, essentials. And he also threw his cell phone into a ditch to avoid being traced. To them, this was a clear indication of premeditated murder. Now, the trial took another twist when Zachary's diary was presented to the court and the diary was found in his backpack that we, that he packed and he took with him on an entry that was dated 10th of August 2012, which was the same day that um, the crime took place. In this entry, it stated, well, Zach has written that his brother, Josh, had raped him. Zach goes on to say, I was raped by him that day. And ever since that, I've been planning to kill him, which doesn't really make sense because he did try to kill him that very night. In another journal entry, the day after the crime, he writes, and some of these dates like don't make sense, but this information was hard to find. But apparently the following day after the murder, which if he was found five hours after, is that while he was in jail, he wrote this, but he writes in the diary, I killed my mother and left Josh there to suffer. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any remorse. My only true regret is that I didn't give my mother a faster death. I didn't want her to suffer. Regarding the rape allegations against his brother, he said to the detectives that he told his mother about this, but she just didn't do anything about it. Now, these claims were investigated by the Department of Children's Services and Nothing was really found to back up these claims that Zach made. Also, when Josh was questioned about this, he was shocked and he was like, these claims are ridiculous. I loved my brother. I would have never done anything to harm him. And I mean, what is true? How do you know without any evidence? And that's the hard thing, right? Because we wouldn't know. Did his brother hurt him or was his mind just confused with all the mental issues he was going through and it was sort of tricking him into just accusing his brother to something to blame to put the blame on someone else one of the most talked about parts of this trial is when Zach's own confession was played to the court because look when you watch his interviews he is very very it's very creepy that's the only word I can really think of I mean very educated but you know like it's just creepy to to see someone speak about killing their own mother let alone just a human being like that he looks sounds and acts like a really disturbed individual he said he chose the murder weapon being a sledgehammer because he didn't want to miss he thought that this tool would give him the highest chance of killing her he laughed when he talked about how large and heavy the murder weapon was and he actually laughed also when he talked about the sound that the sledgehammer made against his mother's body. He said it was a wet thumping sound and he laughed at that. And then when he was asked why he hit her so many times, he said, I wanted to make sure that she was dead. Now throughout this whole trial, he just did not show any type of reaction. He didn't show any emotion. He didn't show any remorse. Even when they showed him pictures of his mother's dead mutilated body, he didn't have a reaction. Family members and friends that were interviewed stated that they did not think anything was wrong with Zach. They never would have suspected it. They said, yes, he was a different kid, but nothing could have predicted what he was capable of. He had a good relationship with his mother and his brother. And when his phone and computer and everything was checked, they found messages between the family that were happy, that were normal. The day before he killed his mother, he 
was exchanging like kind words with his mother. It was his, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> Zachary Davis's grandmother pleaded with the court telling them, you know, it was his mental illness and the lack of care that he received that is to blame. She stated that this would not have happened if Melanie did not pull him out of that recovery program with Dr. Freeman. She believes that every teacher, every guidance counselor should be standing on trial with him because no one helped him. She goes on to state that Zach is not a terrible monster. He is a kid who made a mistake. She believed that Melanie was the one who failed Zach failed to give him treatment and ultimately she paid the price with her life. She said something really sad. She said, I would like Zach to not be forgotten here today as he has been for much of his life. And if that's true, if he was kind of just like a forgotten kid that no one cared about, which it didn't seem like he was, I feel sorry for him. Now, Zach also goes and has an interview with Dr. Phil and this interview is presented to the court. I watched this interview and he is known to be one of the most unforgettable guests of Dr. Phil. And I've seen people making fun of this interview online. And to me, honestly, this interview is really sad. He doesn't seem there. He doesn't seem present. He doesn't seem like his soul is even in his body. His voice is abnormal. He, it's like he's being told, like he's like a puppet, like being told what to say and, you know, by another entity. It's creepy. He mainly responds to Dr. Phil's questions with this like, like a weird head nod. And to a lot of the questions, his answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Like he doesn't know. There's something about the way he moves, the way he nods, his, his like behavior. It's almost like demonic, if I can say so. And it does set a lot of people on edge. And just him laughing at the sound of the hammer it's like he genuinely finds it funny the way he laughs. Now, Dr. Phil states during the interview that his behavior is like common for people who are dealing with these types of disorders from severe anxiety to schizophrenia. He says to Zach, when I look in your eyes, I don't see evil, I see lost. But the judge who watched the interview states that he had a different take on the interview with Dr. Phil. And the judge still comes to this conclusion, even though at the competency hearing for Zach, a lot of the witnesses couldn't agree on a diagnosis for Zach, but they all agreed that he wasn't legally sane in that he didn't know right from wrong. The judge directs most of his comments towards Zach himself, who was sitting there showing no emotion. And he states, the thing that bothers me is that you have shown no regrets, no remorse in murdering your own mother at the age of just 15. The court really struggled with the fact that According to them, Zach clearly premeditated his mother's murder because of the journal entries and the packing of the bags, but it was also really, really clear that he was really unwell, deeply disturbed, and had severe mental issues. So after a four-day trial, the jury deliberated for three hours, and they ended up siding with the prosecution. Zach was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison along with 20 years added on for the attempted murder of his brother, Josh. So a life sentence in Tennessee is different. So it's a minimum of 60 years with the possibility of parole after 51 years. Zach will be in his mid-60s, yeah, when he's up for parole. The DA at the end of the trial makes a statement saying, I think Zach is a little bit smarter than what we give him credit for. Oh, my God nearly died. At the end of the trial, the DA states, 
I think Zach is a little bit smarter than what we give him credit for. I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, watch the interviews. While Zach serves his life sentence, the opinions on his true motivation behind the crime is truly divided. Was it cold-blooded murder or was it psychosis? I mean, either way, it's a horrific, tragic story. I mean, researching this case and just reading about it and watching his interviews, and a lot of you may disagree with me, <laughs> but I really feel sorry for Zach. Obviously, he shouldn't have done what he didn't. I mean, his brother now will have this horrific story that he has to live with, but mental illness is no joke. And hopefully for Josh, he doesn't suffer for the rest of his life because his father first dies of ALS, a horrific disease, and then his mother is killed by his own brother. Like, what a life to live. The amount of therapy that Josh will need alone is, you know, overwhelming. And I mean, with Zach, it's just like, he clearly needed help. Really, he really did. I'm not sure how much therapy would have helped him. Maybe he needed to be in an actual institution or something like that. But I mean, five years is how long it took him to kill his mother after stopping therapy. I'm not exactly sure what was going on in that home. I mean, what was Zach like at home? Did Josh and Melanie not notice his behavior? Did they not have concerns for him? Did they think he was normal? His poor mom, you know, was trying her best. And I've read a lot of people are actually mad at the mom saying, you know, you caused this because you didn't, you know, you stopped um, getting him help. But maybe she thought that I need to do something else and take him away. Maybe that's what she thought was best. Maybe she thought she was going to lose Zach to an institution. Maybe she didn't want that. His grandmother states that, you know, she cares for Zach. And I was like, where were you? But it seemed like Melanie cut off ties from her after her son's death, so Chris's death, and Melanie just cut ties from her and moved her family away. I think cases like this are super important because as we raise the next generation of people, we need to be aware of their mindset, get them help when they need it. We need to always be aware. And I definitely grew up in a generation or parents' generation believing that mental illness is something you don't talk about and don't be weak, you know, just get over it. You know, you're not depressed. You just need to get over it. And I think because of that, I'm extremely hard on myself. I don't give myself a break. I don't want to be weak, you know? And in reality, that makes you weaker because you're not taking care of yourself. So I'm trying to break that mentality and be aware of everything, be aware of my kids, my husband's mind, my own mentality and mental state. So I think it's really important. What do you guys think? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. I hope you Enjoy today's video, guys, and I will see you in the next one. Besitos. Mwah. Bye.